Hello everyone, Happy New Year and thank you so much for downloading this episode of Bees Pod. 2020 was a rough old year at the Hive and the bees find themselves going into the new year in one of their lowest lead positions for quite some time. We look back over the reign of Peter Beadle, look forward to that of Tim Flowers and hope for a year where there'll be more smiles in person at the Hive than there have been for quite some time. We really hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining us on the final episode of what has been quite an eventful year uh, both in and around Barnet. Uh, my name is Ian Bottrell and I'm absolutely delighted as ever to be joined uh, by Mem. Uh, Mem, how have the last few days of 2020 been for you? They have been chasing up delivery drivers. Uh, nobody seems to want to deliver before Christmas or between Christmas and New Year. So I'm literally chasing up deliveries. That, is, that has been my life. So, yeah. How was your Christmas? Yeah, it's been good. Thanks. Um, as someone who works part time on the other end of that delivery stuff, I, I know the difficulties of getting stuff out around Christmas. It has been a crazy time. Um, but no, I've enjoyed watching football. I've, I've really missed not going to watch Barnet. Um, you know, as I was saying on Twitter the other day, the, the streams and the, the effort that's gone into putting out a really good quality product for watching at home has been great. But obviously there's no real substitute. And I think particularly on Boxing Day, that's when it sort of hits through. Um, you know, box day football is a, a huge tradition for us, and um, I think last year the game was postponed, and this year obviously there was no game, so it's something I've missed. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a nice relaxing time, which is which is which is nice actually. Um, but what hasn't perhaps been quite as, as relaxing has been uh, the the scenes at the Hive since we last spoke back uh, in early November. And I seem to recall, Mem, on that podcast, we were quite positive, actually, about the way things were going. We picked up a few points. We'd beaten Weymouth. We'd got a draw away at Wrexham. And actually, even before we spoke, um, you know, we were, we were predicting an up an upward turn. Uh, sorry, just afterwards, sorry, we, we managed to get a result uh, at home to Burton. Uh, and then since then, uh, things have fallen off a cliff. And so what I'd like to sort of start by doing is it's just by getting your thoughts really on what, what went wrong. Uh, for Peter Beadle uh, on the pitch and and kind of where that leaves us now, which is in the relegation zone um, of of a league that actually is surprisingly competitive, I think, this year. So this is really... No, actually, to be honest, I think it, it, you could sum it up, really, that Peter Beadle really, really had struggled to create any kind of blueprint as to what he wanted his team to play like. So when I looked at the team throughout that period where we were getting tonked, um, there was no real structure to the side. Um, obviously, we knew what the formation was. It was clearly he's playing a four-two-three-one or a four-four-two or a variation of it. Um, but the issue was, I felt, was that there was no real, there was no real within that system. Um, there was no real plan or you know organization. I couldn't see uh, what we were trying to do when we were going forward. I couldn't see any pre-planned moves. I couldn't see any 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 um, any evidence of the defence being drilled. Um, the defence was opening up at will. Nobody seemed to know what their job was. Um, so I think we were getting we were terrible going forward, and we were terrible at the back. And it looked like it. If I'm honest, it looked like when you've got Sunday league manager who looks up looks on the day and sees sees who's who's available, who's fit, and just picks a side on the day. And that there was just didn't seem any evidence that there was any 
work being done in training at all. And I don't mean that in a really mean spirited way. But what I mean is, is that as you're a coach, I'm a coach and we can see evidence of patterns of play. And I, I, I couldn't see any ev evidence of any patterns of play throughout that period. It was, it was devoid of any, anything players running into each other's channels players looking at each other going well you move no no I'm, I'll move and it was honestly it was really bad to watch and it was it, it and you can't put that down to the fact that he put the team together he's got to do something on the training ground so yeah there's a lot there and yeah it was down to the fact that he just could not organize them group of players yeah I agree with a lot of that I think the the lack of kind of clear pattern was evident actually both within games so you'd see players sort of as you said running into each other's channels no real pattern of progression no real idea of you know even stuff like playing out from the back at times our decisions on when to play out when to go long when to progress it down one flank or the other just seemed very very random and, and very rigid and it's interesting like a lot of the players have justifiably got a lot of stick and particularly the fullbacks and you know people like McQueen etc and there are definite deficiencies in terms of the technical ability of some of these players. But actually, you can see that they're not playing um, like automatically. Like Everything is half a second too slow. And that's in part because there's just not a set, a set pattern or a set style that we're trying to implement that makes a lot of things automatic. And if you look at any level of football, like from the top, uh, where you've got your teams like City and Liverpool, where everything is incredibly automatic... You know, even down to our level uh, and you know we've heard some stories of of managers being incredibly prescriptive about how they want players to play so you know shelling the ball down the line whenever they get it or insisting that they kick the ball to one side of the pitch um th there's a grain of truth in like having some of that stuff there is as a way of making the team fluid and consistent and it just definitely seemed like the players didn't really know what they were doing on a game by game basis and we were essentially relying on decision making from players who you know aren't the best perhaps um, in terms of technical ability and also like just a playing with a bunch of strangers and it did feel week after week we were putting up you know not so much a best 11 but like 11 individuals that happen to be fit um, and you know what what always happens I find when a manager and we noted it actually at the time under Rossi Eames um, when we saw him begin to make decisions against his philosophy is that you begin to see an element of panic set in and you see these kind of random combinations of players and, you know, players like Mojny being brought into the club, etc. Again, not to sort of single those players out. I'm sure they, they can add a lot of value, uh, but it just seemed that there was no real strategy. And interestingly enough, when we got Bede Lynn, there was a big talk about how expansive his Hereford side played and, you know, uh, how well they kept the ball and, and how aggressive and attacking they were. But I think for me, the real thing was, um, this season of all seasons when you've got a, a, a young squad that, that has got barely anyone we had at the start of the season um, you've got a, a very difficult set of circumstances in terms of COVID you need someone with experience of managing at our level and having spoken to someone in the game uh, a few weeks ago who who used to manage in the conference uh, and coaches coached last season in the conference and he was saying you know the, the difference between managing at what Bida was managing before and managing now is night and day and I think he kind of got found out ultimately at his level um, you know, I feel I feel sorry for the guy. I, I don't I don't feel any sort of ill will towards him. I think he tried to do his best in a very difficult situation, um, but ultimately, you know, it was going to be very difficult for him to succeed uh, before. In a, in a normal season, it would have been hard, and I think this season in particular, um, it's just, it was just too much for him, really. No, I think I think you make a really good point because um, one thing you have to bear in mind is that Hereford at that time, and some people I've seen other people make this comment as well at the time were really big fish in small ponds. So they were able to go out and get the, in the area, get the best players in the area um, because they could afford to, um, which meant 
obviously it was a slightly easier task when you've got the best players there. But like you said, the level of professionalism in the conference has gone up. I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, Tim Flowers, and we'll talk a bit more about him later, but has already earmarked people, things like conditioning coaches and things like that as, uh, you know, as, as imperative in this division tells you the sort of the greater level of professionalism. And, um, and I heard that, and I have heard this as well, and this has come uh, via uh, players um, who were, who were at the club, um, who have, who have commented that they felt that his, a lot of his methods, um, Peter Bidder's methods were in training were quite old school um, and, you know, and weren't, just weren't current practice. Um, so there was, there was already, and this was in pre-season, um, and I heard in preseason as well that there was some of the established players were a bit uh, underwhelmed by um, by some of the players that were coming in and playing alongside them, and we've we've signed some of those players. Um, so it just goes to show that the, the 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 signs were there early on, and I think some of the players had already uh, were already aware that this was going to be a tough season because they because they realised that. Peter Beadle wasn't up to the standard and the players that were coming in weren't up to the standard. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really, it was, it was a sad state of affairs because it I suppose it would have, it, it was, it, you know, it's one of these things, if you have, you know, you haven't got good players, you need to make sure you drill them really well. And, you know, we didn't see any evidence of that. I think he's, I think he's, he was out of his level, out of his, out of his depth, really. I think I agree with you. And I think some of the, the kind of defeats in particular against sides that, well, we expect to be in and around this. Um, particularly, I was thinking the Kings Lynn game, which I watched, and and that was pretty depressing. Um, and I, I think the worrying sign for me was not so much the results, but also the way in which we were kind of being consistently outplayed. Um, you know, even just thinking back to the the Dorking game, which I know was not under Beadle's jurisdiction, under under Flowers' control. There, you know, we were we were heavily outplayed by a by a side the league below, and I think that just raises a question really around. Um, where responsibility lies for the start of the season. Um, some people have kind of mentioned, and obviously, you know, no one is happy in the position we're currently in. We have got some good players at the club still, you know, Taylor, Loach, uh, Mason Clark, etc. There are some, some really good players there. To what extent do you think they are responsible, those players? Do you think there's been an element of player underperformance? Or do you think that that underperformance is mainly sort of lies at the, at the door of the manager um, and potentially those above him? Or do you feel that players themselves have underperformed consistently this season as well? I think there's an element of comfort. Uh, uh, I think there's an element of all of those. I can only, you know, I can only call upon some some of my own experiences when I, when I was a player, and I just remember that if uh, if you're looking around your team and you don't don't believe in the players you play with, you don't do things as naturally as you normally would. So you know, if you are a James Dunn or a Harry Taylor or an Ephraim Mason Clark, and you don't think that ball's going to come to you, or you think that ball's going to come to you in you know off, on the wrong foot, or you're not going to play you're not going to do your play your automatic game because you have to think uh, and if you don't trust somebody are you going to give them the ball um and i think there's an element of there's always going to be an element of that players that are existing um at the club looking around saying you know i'm not passing the ball to you know Simeon Akinola and i'm not passing the ball to um you know Elliot Johnson and I'm not passing the ball to Tonda and these guys are all secure in possession I know that I can give it to them and I can get the ball back off them um I'm giving the ball to somebody else who's not as good um can you know Ben and Williams get to that pass if I put that ball in front of him he's carrying a lot you know he's carrying he's a big guy um 
that that kind of thing. Do I want to push on because I don't trust McQueen is you know good defensively? So all these sort of things that you suddenly start setting second guessing your colleagues uh, when you don't you know when you're not that you don't think they're that good. And then if you're not sure if the, the system the team's playing as well, again, so these are all things that players think about when you know when they are playing in a side that they can see evidently is not as good as what they were used to. I mean, you can imagine the you know from the from the aspect of the confidence um you know you've just cut you've literally just got to the playoffs with a really good team and you know this team was was, was bang on form 18 matches run and you were on your way to really high placing covid hits and then the team gets dismantled and you're going to look at that and go and then you see all these players just come in and you look at these aren't up to the standard of what we had last year it's gonna, it's gonna affect you. It's gonna affect your morale and it's gonna affect your confidence. So I think there's, there's an element of that um, because every player, like the supporters, every player wants to see a signing because they want to be boosted up and think, yeah, we're gonna, this is gonna be our year. And they've, you know, if you, if you're James Dunn and you're, you're Scott Lakes, you'll be professional, but you'll be like, I'm not, you know, I don't think, I don't, I don't rate our chances this season. So I think there is an element with players, but I just don't think you can blame the players when all around them is, is chaos. Yeah, I think like one of the things that's interesting is just looking at the stats. I mean, we we have the worst defensive record in the league. We can see thirty two goals in thirteen games. Um, we've you know scored eleven, uh, which isn't great either. But kind of concerning to me is something that hasn't happened a huge amount in recent years, even when we've been relegated in the past, which is that we seem to be being sort of shelled three, four, five goals kind of quite consistently. Five times out of thirteen league games this season, we've conceded four or more goals. Um, and if you go back actually across previous seasons, we haven't conceded four or more goals, um, you know, more than once or twice for, for the last five or six seasons in, in many cases. And even when we were struggling at the bottom of League Two, it's kind of like you're losing 1-0, 2-0, 2-1 by the odd goal. It's quite rare that we're being consistently put to the sword. I think when you lose a game, sort of 2-0, 3-0, you can lay a level of accountability, um, you know, the manager, the tactics. But often I find that some of those those games it's just to some extent an element of pride or an element of structure and I think that's something that we've been really lacking this season is like you know I appreciate the fact that players like James Dunn and and Harry Taylor etc may not be feeling particularly enthused by the quality of players around them um but actually like to kind of be consistently conceding four or five goals does that say something perhaps about the confidence or does it say something about the the kind of attitude of the players uh, or is that something that's just, again, purely a, a quality factor? Because we've played some pretty poor sides this season and not many of them are being hammered 6-0 away at Chesterfield or 4-1 away at, at Woking, etc. So I'm I'm curious about whether or not you think that that is a real warning sign, those big defeats, or do you think that's kind of part and parcel of a side that's underperforming and, and that's not, not something necessary to worry about a huge amount? There is an element of pride when, when, when you are struggling in a game. But I think the problem is, is that... It's a bit, I go back, it goes back to something somebody said to me once is it, do you want a bunch of motivated monk, uh, motivated idiots or do you want, you know, and the, the way that they, um, and, and what he, what uh, somebody meant by that to me when they said, you know, do you want a bunch of motivated idiots is people charging around the place, flying into tackles and, but having no structure. And I think the key to it is, is if you have a team with a good structure and you're struggling, you, you fall on your structure. You basically, you, the structure keeps the team together. And I think the problem is because we didn't have a structure. If things start going wrong, then there's nothing, there's nothing to fall back on. There's no place. It's not a case of like sometimes in a game where you're, where you, you're just having a bad game, all of you. And you kind of go, you know what, let's keep it tight. You know, you know where you need to be. 
fullbacks you need to come in here center backs will we'll stop will drop to here midfielders you drop to there wingers you go to there and and then we we play from here but if you don't have a structure where where do you, you know where what, what do you fall back on if you're struggling as a team and you can't just go just charging around like idiots trying to fly into tackles and stuff you know to show a bit of pride it's not it doesn't it doesn't do anything in my opinion you're still going to get picked off um so i think yes yeah, so i get your point about pride and there is obviously you've got to win your tackles you've got to win your battles but i think at the end of the day um one thing that excites me about flowers is that i think that we'll have that framework in place we'll have something to rely on and to play from um and i think he'll make sure that we are definitely drilled um to do that whereas i just don't think we had that repeat beetle yeah we'll come on to flowers in a bit i mean i think he you know if you look at his solo hole sides they conceded less than a goal a game consistently across the last two years they i mean they've been renowned for essentially being a very well drilled very organized side with and, and also a very good structure at set pieces and i think actually that's something that we'd all accept um as a kind of priorities for us right now um I mean, just coming towards the end of that spell, then we saw a couple of really big defeats. Uh, obviously, the Chesterfield game sticks out, not least because it was the biggest defeat of the season. Um, but then, kind of like a consistent pattern where we've, we've been on a, you know, we haven't won since in the league, at least since uh, the middle of October against Weymouth. Um, you know, even with the odd good result against against Wrexham and obviously in the cup against Burton, um, you know, and even against Hartlepool, actually, you could probably say that 0 0 wasn't a bad result at all. We just haven't looked like scoring goals. We've looked like conceding quite consistently. Um, and so we kind of come to the sort of 6-0 against Chesterfield and, and the end of, of Peter Beadle. Um, I mean, I guess it, it's the question is, is relatively straightforward. It probably was the right time for him to go. I mean, do you think that we, we you know, Cantus and, and the club left it the right amount of time? Do you feel that there was sufficient grounds to give him up until, you know, 12, 13 games into the season? Or, um, you know, should they have made the move slightly, slightly sooner? Well, from what I know from background, I know we've been stung a little bit by um, some of the information we got, but um, from what I was told that Cleanthos had already had Tim Flowers lined up about a week before pulling the pulling the trigger on on, on Peter Beadle. And I think he was trying to give uh, Beadle every opportunity to try and keep his job. And I think um, from what I remember, I think it was as early as the Barnet-Wildstone game was when he was looking at pulling the trigger. And... Uh, so I'm looking at the timeline. It's about a week. Yes, yeah, about a week before. And he drew that game. So I think he got a stay of execution. Um, and then I think, uh, from what I understand, is uh, Tony Kenfoss had already had sounded out flowers. But also, when we discovered, it also sounded out Wildstone's manager. Um, and from, yeah, I mean, we might as well tack it, tackle it now, Ian, because <laughs> we've had a lot of grief about this. We've uh, rightly so. Rightly so, I suppose so, yes. Yeah, rightly yeah. so. But let's put it this way. Um, so we uh got got wind that basically Dean Brennan from Wildstone had been had been contacted by the club, um, had actually met with the club, and um I have a mutual friend with Dean Brennan, and I'd seen uh evidence, visual evidence from a message that was sent backwards and forwards from Dean Brennan and a friend. Um, which showed that it was serious, the barn interest, you know, talking about there was a lot of, it was in the final stages and everything was looking that, uh, that he was, it looked like he was coming to us because from the discussions that I'd heard had been had, um, it looked like it was, you know, coming down to the final stages. And then I, so I was told by somebody that it's, it's happening. And then I was told, then I thought, okay, you know what, before I, before I 
tell Ian and say, look, this is what's going on. Um, I'm going to go and check this up. So I did my usual checks, had three other people who were not connected and say, right, what are you hearing about this? What are you hearing? And they're all going, yeah, we've heard it's dead, sir. It's happening. <laughs> Definitely happening. And then Ian and I went, right, let's do it. And put it out there. And I think Cleanthos was uh, was sitting there rubbing his hands, waiting for that moment for us to <laughs> put that tweet out and look like a complete bunch of dicks. Um, and the next thing you know, we get uh, Tim Flowers is announced. However, I would like to say this: if you look in Tim Flowers's uh, interview, he did he did make it quite clear he got a phone call quite late at night. Now, from what I know, the whole situation with Brennan was going on during the, the, throughout that day, so I think it was a case of. I think that that was an, that was the main target, and I think Flowers was probably the more expensive target. And it was a case of, okay, if we don't get Brennan, then then we got Flowers because because I think he'd been kept Flowers has been kept warm. Um, so, but you can tell actually um, a bit about why Flowers didn't got you know didn't get the role in the summer ahead of Beadle because you notice with Beadle, Beadle brought in just one coach. How many people yeah. have Flowers brought in already? Yeah, I mean that's it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I think just going back on to I think we've made the right decision there with Flowers. Um and we'll come on to him uh now actually in terms of the, the really exciting stuff behind the scenes that I think he's gonna implement and the level of professionalism that he'll bring, having come from both his playing background but also his coaching backgrounds. And you know, I think with someone like Flowers, it's interesting, his C V um did an excellent job at Solihull, which we which we know about in terms of bringing them up the up the league um but prior to that he's been involved in coaching since 2010 as a goalkeeping coach he's been involved obviously um you know even up at the premier league level i think he was involved i can't quite remember who it was with actually uh but he was involved with a side that were playing in the premier league like and he's got experience from that level which he can bring down but he's also got experience at this level um which is key and if you look at even someone like brennan for example who um you know i don't know a huge amount about but i know that he had quite a good budget last year in in the national league um i think we've been putting ourselves through a lot of you know we've tried the young and hungry approach a little bit before in the past and we've been stung i do think with the structure and the politics of the club it is really useful to have an experienced manager in there and and flowers it's difficult to tell obviously he's only been at the club five minutes but the way he conducts himself, the way that he's been clearly been allowed to bring in additional uh, support in the background um, in terms of conditioning shows that he's, he's, you know, he's his own man. He doesn't seem to take any nonsense. He knows what he wants. He knows what he needs to do a good job at this level. And I think having that real forceful figure as a manager is so important. Whereas sometimes you can get like a young kind of hungry manager who's done very well at one club. And in part, that might be due to the relationships he's had with people behind the scenes, or it might be due to a whole combination of factors. We see it a, ho- a huge amount of times, the amount of managers that do very well at one club and then go somewhere else and that success isn't replicated. Um, and I think with, uh, with, with Tim, we're getting someone who I think is a strong personality, a real good uh, experienced guy, but also someone who is hungry and, and on the way up. Um, and I think the background appointments, and I said it on Twist the other day, Sure, the manager's important, but getting the conditioning and the, and the physical approach right off the pitch is absolutely key. And it's something that we've been saying, you know, I think for the last two, three years. Um, and it's something that the club haven't, you know, haven't always, I, I think, done as well as they could have done. We've got a fantastic training setup. And I know the Hive's getting a lot of stick at the moment, but it is a brilliant training setup. And if you talk to players and you talk to people at our level, like, sure, there's a, a real romance about playing at some of the grounds. 
Underhill, a classic example. But day to day, when you're turning up to a training centre that is, you know, an old school field and you've got, a, you know, you've got long grass and you've got to, you know, water the pitch or you've got to dig into the, you've got all of that crap. Some of the hive is a huge difference and it can become a huge driver for our recruitment saying, this is where you're going to train. You've got the medical setup. We All we needed was the people. We've never had the right people in the right in the right places there. And a head of performance, someone who's worked at a high level, is a great step forwards. Even if this person doesn't work out, the club recognising that that's a valid role and ultimately actions speak louder than words. We had Lunchgate back in whenever it was two years ago when you know players would say, oh, are players paying for lunch? All this sort of small fry. But actually getting someone serious in there who can overview almost like a director of football role in terms of physical performance will be absolutely massive for us. And I think the final thing I'd say about, about Flowers is contacts. You know, the guy has contacts in the professional game uh, and I think that will be borne out in our recruitment. I think one of the challenges that Beadle would have had almost certainly is having been out of the game for a long time and also having not managed at our level before, he will not have those contacts to bring in players and to get a few players over the line. And whenever we've done well, we've had someone in charge of the club who is able to bring in a couple of players through basically force of personality or force of contacts. That's the way that a lot of recruitment works at our level. And I think having Flowers there as well will, will make a big difference on that. So I, I'm really, really positive about, about him as an appointment. I'm glad we didn't go back to Alan. I think that would have been... Um, I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there with his health, and I, I hope he's OK. Um, but it is time we move forwards as a club, and I really hope uh, Flowers can can make a good fist of it and, as I said, make a, make a positive start on the pitch, but also off the pitch, building some sort of legacy that we've desperately needed since we've moved to the Hive, which is a professional setup, not based on a maverick manager, but based on a, a real sound working set of principles so that we can get back to some of the hubristic stuff that Clarence has talked about in terms of being the crew of the South, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that, 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 that stuff is, it looks ridiculous now in hindsight, but the actual philosophy behind it is sound. There is space for a club that is well run, that has got a good training setup that we do. We've got a lot of infrastructure in place. And if we can put the right people in the right places, there's no reason that we can't really build up and, and build a really solid foundation as opposed to just pulling in Alan, uh, who is a brilliant manager and, and, and invigorates the club. But what we need now is we need a, a sustainable five, six, seven year plan to really grow the club, get everything sorted out, the recruitment, the physical care, the training setup, all that stuff sorted out, the academy, give that chance to get going again and then gradually build up. Um, and we've got to hope that this is rock bottom and that, we're, and that we're working our way up from there. So I'm really excited about flowers. Tell you, you can, I can tell you, uh, Ian, there was a, <laughs> no, there was actually just to add to that, you know, you were saying about Martin Allen. I do actually think that there is an element of um, Martin Allen uh, about Tim Flowers, not in the eccentricity of, you know, of the delivery like was with Martin Allen, but I think the element of, so going back to the summer, we knew that, so we knew that Tim Flowers was interviewed for the job. Um, and clearly the cheaper option was got, was, was picked in Peter Beadle. But one thing you can say about Tim Flowers, he didn't, didn't veer away from what he felt the kind of resource he needed, um, you know, from the resource he needed, which was he needed, he, he wanted a backroom staff that would provide, would provide the necessary uh, support to him that, that, you know, professional club fit, you know, fit a professional club. And he stuck to his and he stuck to his guns and he didn't he didn't move on that. And one thing I like about that is that even when he got called back in as like, come, can you come and help us out? He got what he wanted. So he, you know, he didn't move away, veer away from that, um, you know, the demands of what he needs. Um, and I like that because what that means is that is that he knows his self-worth and he can stand up to the chairman. Um, and tell the chairman and from everything I've seen in interviews, he knows his stuff. He is very, co really confident speaker and the people he's got convinced as well, not just us, 
he's got to convince the players in the changing room that they can do what, what he ask, is asking of them. And I think that the fact that he's such a good communicator is, you know, a player sitting in a change room and a manager comes in and he's like, and he knows his stuff. He's telling you what he needs, wants to do, what's from you. He's really clear about what he wants from you. He's brought in good people around him. Players will sit up and go, yeah, I want to play for this guy. If, they, if, they, if they're already going, this guy's a dinosaur. I don't, you know, what's this guy on about? Uh, you know, he's, he ain't been in the game for two years or whatever. Then they, they don't believe in you. But with something like Tim Flowers, it's very difficult. The guy's done it at the highest level. And, and not only that is he's taken a team at this level, like you said, he's got experience. And I look at it and I think this is the sort of guy that we should have been investing in. Um, and we shouldn't have gone down the cheap route. We should have gone. This is the kind of guy, a serious guy who you want to have in your, t in your club. And I can imagine he's probably got an encyclopedia of players in his head already of, as to, as to, as to who he, who he probably thinks come in and improve this team. Whereas I always felt with, with Beadle and from actually from what I've heard behind the scenes, he's not from this area. So Beadle was from, you know, lives, I think Bristol way. So he's, you know, the players he knows from, that, you know, are they going to come to London? They weren't. He got, he managed to bring Duffus and Elliot Richards from across where he was from uh, over to here. Whereas Flowers, I think would probably be the sort of guy who's probably got, he's probably got a network of people around the, in the game who say, go and check out this guy, this guy, and this guy. And I bet, and I bet you he's probably got a black book of players that he's already going through it now as we speak. I mean, he brought that, uh, was it Fox in almost immediately, yeah. didn't he? Said, yeah. oh, I need legs in my midfield. Right, Fox. Boom. There you go. Proof will be in the pudding to some extent. And I, I, I wouldn't, I, as I said, we've been underperforming consistently this season. We've got some good players. We have also got some not very good players. And and one of the challenges we've had, I mean, we, we talked about at the time, the kind of financial reasons behind Beadle and getting someone in for the cheap. And, and again, I don't want to downplay in any way the difficulty of the club's finances, not least in this COVID time. Like It is very, very difficult to balance the books. And a calculated gamble, let's, let's be generous, if it's a calculated gamble to say, you know what, this year uh, we're going to just keep it nice and trim, not go bust, and then hope that other clubs around us go bust. That's a reasonable gamble. I, I, you know, I can see, I don't agree with it, but I can see the rationale behind it. Um, but in hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, I mean, it does sort of raise questions as to whether or not we've kind of gone in a big circle for six months. We've lost players, uh, a lot of whom have moved up to a high level at the end of the season. So we've lost a lot of players. We're in a relegation scrap, uh, and let's make no bones about it. Like, we are in a scrap, and we are four or five points away from safety. I mean, this is not like, you know, uh, it is only 13 games into the season, but a gap is opening up already um, between us and, you know, there's basically four or five clubs out at the bottom and then there's a sort of tranche of a lot of clubs above that in lower mid-table that we need to get to. It does sort of raise the question as to whether or not getting rid of Curry, do you reckon that sort of, that, well, that, has that sort of made sense in the long run? Has that panned out how we would have wanted? I mean, do you think if, if Cleantis had a magic wand, uh, would he kind of go back to you know, the summer um, and, and say, actually, you know what, let's, let's hang on to, to Darren. Um, or do you think actually that, you know, even with the, 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 the sort of defeats in the start of the season, that the fresh break was what you wanted and, and what, and what we may actually need in the long term. In terms of rebuilding aside, I'm not sure Darren Curry was the right guy for that. As much as I liked the way Darren Curry played football, um, he was in football terms, he's still a rookie. Um, I think, to ask him to rebuild a side and then carry on playing the way he was playing was a was a big ask. I think the 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 scenario he was he felt he found himself in where he had a talented squad of players who were underperforming was the perfect scenario for Darren Curry in that time in his career, and maybe in the future when he's got a bit more experience to rebuild a side from scratch might be um, 
you know, for him, but might be, might be a, might be a, a project that he can, he can do, but I just don't think he could have done it this summer. Um, I think the, the big issue for me in the summer was some of the, uh, the versatile, versatile players that we had the opportunity to, uh, extend their contracts and we didn't extend the contract was, was the big one for me. So it might be only a handful of players, but people like Elliot Johnson, we didn't, we had, a we, we had the extension, um, it's called an option and we didn't take up the option. Uh, I think, I believe Tatonda was the same. I think Mauro might've been the same. I'm not sure it might be in this contract, but those two alone, uh, straight away, you got one guy in your back, for, you know, in at the play, play part of a back three or play as a left center back and one left fullback. And one thing actually that was a real problem we had over the summer, in my opinion, from a, from a recruitment was that we didn't have players that would allow us to play multiple systems. So, when we had players like Tutonda and Shay Alexander and and Ali Elliot Johnson, it allowed us to adapt from playing a four at the back to a three at the back, um, depending on the game or depending on if things weren't working out. So we uh, we switched to to wing backs and played Elliot Johnson on the left side with Tutonda. The left. You can't do that with Ben and Williams. You might be able to do that with McQueen on one side and play him as a wing back, but you're not going to be able to play back three with Ben and Williams playing as a left wing back. Um, although I would say I've been really impressed with Connors, but I'm not sure he's that type of left back that can play as a wing back, but I've been really impressed with Connors. And I think we may have a very good player on our hands there. That might be a, a bit of recruitment that's, that's done really well. Uh, aside from him, I'm not sure about the others so far. Um, but yeah, but to answer your point, I'm not sure Darren Curry would have been the right guy to actually rebuild a squad. Well, I think let's let's now look at the squad. I mean, we've we've picked up a lot of players uh, in in what well, since the summer. Um, some have been sort of hit and miss. Um, I guess the sort of the core there is it is reasonable. We got some, you know, said Loach, uh, Taylor. Um, I think Petrasso is a good player. Mason Clark, but clearly it makes sense to start at the back um, where we've had a lot of issues. I think particularly in the fullback areas, and I don't want to single out players because, as I said, I think actually under a new manager. And under a, a more structured system, you'll see a completely different side to some of these players. Um, but the fullback areas for me have been real areas of concern consistently. Um, no matter what system we played, whether, we, whether we've gone four at the back, whether on occasions we've gone to three at the back with the wing backs, that seems to have been an area that have consistently let us down in terms of conceding chances, but also just not creating enough going forwards. If you were sort of uh, Tim Flowers and you could, say, pick your top three positions on a Christmas shopping list, what areas of the pitch would you look to strengthen as a priority um, and do you even have any players in mind or would this be something that you would kind of rely on flowers on to, to kind of fill the, the right solutions? But to start off with, let's diagnose it. I mean, what areas of the pitch, what top three areas of the pitch would you look to strengthen in straight away? Uh, right back and centre back. I actually think we're starting to get some bodies in midfield. So if I look, we've got Dunn, Wordsworth. Uh, I haven't seen Fox, but he's clearly rated by... Um, I mean, in fact, he played quite a few games this season and then all of a sudden he was loaned to us by Burton. That was very odd. Um, and then you've got, um, we haven't got Wes. McBurney was starting to look tidy. Um, and I think, I think the midfield is fine. Dean Parrott as well in mid midfield. So I think midfield in terms of numbers, Harry, you know, Harry Taylor as well. We've got, we got good numbers in centre mid and we've got good experience. And there's some good players in that centre mid now who haven't had a chance to gel yet. But I think centre mid's looking good. Centre back is looking really poor. And obviously yep. we're having to play Harry Taylor there. Preston's out for a while. He's still, I think, in the latest interview, it was a few weeks to go. Still, yeah, he's back in. Ben Nugent's been a bit of a disaster, in my opinion. Um, looks nice on the ball. 
as a defender turns gets turned really quickly. I've not been impressed with Ben and Williams at all. I know some people have said they liked him. I just don't. I see a guy again. Problem with playing him and Williams, uh, him and Nugent on the same side of the defence, is that wing is really open to speed. And on the other side, McQueen, I just don't see him. I don't think he's a fullback. Um, and he got absolutely destroyed against Chesterfield. They literally all the attacks came down his side. Um, so I think right back, a solid right back. Um, I just want to, I quite like the Wildstone right back. Um, if, if I'm remembering the right guy, um, from centre back perspective, I don't know. But again, it's like one of these. Um, I've, we've, I've mentioned it before. With our resources, with our um, you know ability to offer professional football, why not go to one of the teams in our in our league and go and pinch? Uh, you know their best centre back. You know Kings Lynn, If they've got a good centre back, go nick him. Kings Lynn can't pay full time wages. They can't be pro club. Barnet have got the the have got um you know I've got uh, I've got the gravitas of being in London and of course you know people look out for their results and stuff. Let's go and steal somebody from somebody else and um you know take a good player for them. But we need definitely need centre back, right back. I think Connors is a really good left back. I really like him. So I'd like him. So I think he'll he'll keep his place. Um, yeah, and I think and I in in the other areas I look at it. Patrasso on the left, Ephraim Mason Clark, JJ Hooper, Josh Walker, Effiong, uh, Fowl looks okay. I'm not sure. I think we might send him back. I've got a funny thing. We'll probably send him back. Um, if I look at that forward line, if you can get a pattern of play going, you've got some really you've got a lot of pace, a lot of power there, a lot of goals there, and I just don't. I just think that you have to get them playing. And I think part of the problem of them to of them is I think some of those players need to, they need to, we need to have some sort of pattern of play. The amount of times I saw Ephraim Mason Clark hanging out to the right and McQueen sort of running into his channel and going and and or and Ephraim not really understanding that maybe he should, you know, knock the ball out to McQueen and, and cut inside and get into the box or, you know, stuff like that, simple things like that, or you know, give and goes that like worked out give and goes and things like that. So we've got the tools there. I think it's just a case of getting somebody who's going to create a structure um, and get the team to play. But I, I literally think two players would, would have make a big difference to this whole, the whole team. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things that I mentioned was, um, I think this is slightly more of a long-term thing is thinking really closely about how we go about recruitment um, and, and how we think about the profile of player that we bring in. And there are some clubs that do this really, really well. Um, and Peterborough is probably the best example of signing high value or taking a lot of calculated gambles on players from non-league and then reselling those quite quickly to to make money if they if they do reasonably well and there's been a lot of players that pass through that route and I think there's definitely scope for us to operate on a similar model over a longer period of time one of the concerns I have is that we have got some good players but a lot of those players are on their way down I mean it's difficult to look at you know player and don't get me wrong We've got some fantastic value out of some older players in recent years. You know, people like Lee Kirk and, uh, you know, way before that, players like Oster, etc., Gary Breen. But I think the model of player we've got, you know, you look at your sort of Wordsworths, your Dean Parrots, you know, they're, they're probably done in terms of playing in the league. Um, and so the kind of concern that I have is that we we don't want to sort of tie ourselves into a squad of two, three-year deals for players that are on their way down um, and we lose that hungry bite and that fight um, that, that I think we'll need. And, you know, I think we've got some really good players. I think Josh Walker's a fantastic player. I think Mason Clark's an excellent player. Harry Taylor's a great player. Um, but I think we also need that to keep that young, hungry core, which we don't seem to quite have at the moment. 
And if you look at when the club have done really well, it's when we've had those players in their early 20s who have come to the club from other non-league, non-league sides um, and are, are able to sort of really see Barnet as a leapfrog or, a, a, you know, a, a way of jumping up to playing at a higher level. Um, so I think in, in the... You know, in the January window, I think you're right. Quality, not quantity. You know, we can pick up centre backs for. You know, you can pick up any centre back you want, right? In terms of like, there are there are hundreds of thirty year old centre backs uh, knocking around looking for for professional football. Um, but trying to find a really good twenty two, twenty three year old who's got a hundred games under their belt at either Conference South or Conference level would, I think, be a really smart use of money. Um, and I agree with you. Going forwards, I actually think it's a question of getting those patterns right. I think we've got goals in the side. Um, and, and quality in the side as well. So um, I think recruitment uh, is something that we can work on, but but ultimately, I think you're right, it starts at the back. I agree. I agree totally. Um, but saying that, you were saying about the, the profile, but if I look at it and think to myself, who would I want to start, Who would I want to play against next to Harry Taylor? Who would I want to play next to Josh Walker? Who would I want to play um, next to, I don't know, Connors or Pascal, you know, Dwight Pascal, if Dwight Pascal plays right back? Um, I look at, Centre back, we don't have players that that would bring them through. Um, but in midfield, you've got Wordsworth, Parrot, you've got Dunn. So these are good influences on people like Harry Taylor. Good influence as well on being able to talk to um, talk to people like Efren and say, look, Efren, you can't always hang off. You've got to sometimes make a run forward. And having some luck of Wordsworth who's played in Division 1, having a Parrot who's played in Division 1 to sort of say, look, when I got the ball, you get on your bike. I think that will help. I think, but these guys have only just turned up in the last few weeks. And the, and the problem we had was before that we didn't have the basis of a side. So I think, I think, I think there is, there is stuff to go with. And I think we'll hopefully see now some of the work with flowers will do because we haven't got any games and we, you know, we've got a week off essentially to do training. So I think we'll, um, I think we'll, I think we'll see a different side coming out the other end. You've got to hope so. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting, and as I said, it's hard this season because it, it feels like we're, we're in the bottom three at Christmas. That's not great. But actually, we've only played 13 games. We've played, you know, just, just over a quarter of the season. Um, and we have got an interesting run of games coming up, actually, which could be a blessing and a curse. If you look at our next five, we play, I think the highest sort of, um, uh, the highest side that we play, I think, is ninth. So we've got a run of games now. We've got uh, Borumwood, who I think uh, are in sort of 17th position or so, Aldershot and Yeovil. I mean, Yeovil in particular, that looks like a huge game on the 12th. And then Altrincham and then Dover, who are below us, before we go and play Torquay, who are the top, you know, top of the league. So the next five games, on the one hand, it's great. We've got Flowers in to sort of hopefully do some work with the players and, and build towards these five. But on the other hand, we, we have got to start picking up some points quite quickly. And, you know, if we come out of these five games with, you know, five or six points it's likely that, that gap above is going to grow. And then we go into a run of games against Torquay, Sutton, Solihull, Halifax, um, sides who are, who are pushing up there. You know, Flowers has, has got time insofar as he, he's got time to sort of put his own stamp on the side, etc. But, you know, it's a kind of a difficult and a, it's a good and a bad time for him to come into the role. And what do you think is a reasonable return that we should be looking from for the next five games? I mean, do you, do you feel, as I do, that staying up this year is the number one priority or do you feel that actually we should be aiming far higher than that this season? Well, I look at, I look at the so Boromud, I say Boromud, I say we'd have to get a draw, Aldershot, Town, draw, Yeovil, home win, uh, Altrinham, I would expect the ninth, but I would expect at home, we'd have to get a win uh, and Dover, I'd expect to win. So one, two, 
That's 10 points. Well, sorry, 12 points. Uh, 11 points, sorry, from five games. Yeah, two. We'd need to win three and three and yeah, 11 points. I would say that should be the target, 11 points. I know that's, I know we have, we, you know, that we're asking for more wins in that run than we've done all season. But I look at that and think, Yeovil at home, got to win that, have to win that, um, have to win your home games. Because then once you hit, once you hit Torquay and Sutton, like you said, there's, there's, you know, not so sure. So the home get the home win. I, I can't see us beating uh, Bournemouth at home because they're just a horrible team and know how to play that way. Uh, if we can draw that and then and have you know three wins out of the other ones, I think we'll get into mid table. But we need to get a run of games. We need to at least get back to back wins at some point. I mean, and do you feel as I do that? I mean, do you think obviously it's early days in the season? Um, do you think we are in a relegation strap, or do you think actually something that it's it's a premature? No, no, it's not premature. Look, look at the table. I mean, literally, like you said, there's there's a gap now forming, and that's very hard to to break up, bridge that gap already. I mean, you bear in mind as well the big the big millstone around our neck is a minus twenty one goal difference. I mean, that's just uh, that's. I mean, I mean, it's embarrassing in my opinion. A club of so Barnet's size with a minus twenty one at this at this stage of the season. I mean, that's just embarrassing. Um, but that's a big millstone um, because fact is that's that's worth a point. That's worth, yeah. you know, that's worth a point for the other team, for the other team above us because you, you're not going to make up, you know. So we've got really six points, but it's six points from safety. Well, I mean, let's let's uh, hope that that does pick up. Hopefully, the next few weeks. I mean, as I said, I'm optimistic that Flowers do the right job in the long term, but. Um, in the short term, I think a couple of wins would do well. And actually, you do see with, with new managers and, and even sides down the bottom, all of a sudden, a couple of wins, a bit of confidence into the side. You're going into a new year. There, there's some kind of feel-good vibe around the club that can come back quite quickly, uh, as quickly as it's gone. Um, but a couple of questions now, just from our from our listeners, um, as they go through. Um, a few of them, perhaps, uh, on a slightly more longer-term spectrum. And we focus a little bit more on the short term. So we might address some of these in later pods um, around long-term things around the club. Um, but Tom asked a question around, which I think we kind of answered around Tim Flowers or Darren Curry with this season's budget. You're saying Tim Flowers, um, I think, Mem, is that correct? Yeah, I, I think I'll probably agree with that. I think Darren's a great manager. But um, again, it's to what extent is that based on a really good group of players that came together at the right time Um as opposed to being in this situation we currently find ourselves in. Um, so I think that's that's there. Um, Lee asked a question here about TK or Stan Flashman. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's quite it. Sorry? Early Stan Flashman. Okay, I'm, I think I'm also going to go with TK there. Um, and then a couple of other ones uh, from Daniel. I mean, this is probably the most important one, really. I mean, do you think that Tim Flowers will keep us up? Um, uh, or, or do you feel that actually, uh, you know... I think you've got to be feeling confident, right? That that Tim will keep us up, man. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I, I think he's the he's the kind of manager that that Tim that if if you if you speak to um if you speak to people who worked at Barnet for years, they'll tell you that that um that Cleanfoss is quite an imposing character. Um, and uh, on the younger managers, he can be you know he can he doesn't quite he doesn't he's he doesn't quite respect them enough sometimes to you know to listen to what they're trying to say to him whereas when people like martin allen john still have been in front of him he respects them um and i think that flowers is the sort of person that he will respect and flower if flowers says to him i need this and i need this and i need this or we're down i think he'll listen to him so i think i think um i, I i'm i'm confident that he has the gravitas to basically get you know to get what he needs 
to get to keep us up. And with that in mind, I mean, it's the question here from Anthony is how much will TK loosen the purse strings for the signings that, that Flowers alluded to in his interview? I mean, do you feel that there's room in that budget? Um, I mean, we, we have got a lot of players in the club now. Uh, it's 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 spinning into those sort of early 2010s where we, we had 50 players in the middle of March. Um, you know, even the Hive couldn't hold that many. Well, I think we're going to have a big squad, but I think the key to it is I don't think any of these players are on long-term contracts. I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if they're beyond this year. So I think... Yes, we're going to end up with a, a nice, uh, you know, a nice collection. Um, but I think, I think he will. I think the thing is, like we said, if you look at it realistically, there's probably one or two uh, additional signings that really need to be played. So if you can fund a couple of really good players, I think uh, Flowers probably think, okay, that's good enough for me. Uh, a question here from Lucas around Curry leaving, um, which I think we've covered again in previous podcasts. Um, you know. And, and, and I, I don't want to go too much into that just now. Um, but I think overall, then, we'd say at the end of what has been quite a turbulent year, we're feeling slightly more positive now than we were um, certainly a few weeks ago. And so with that in mind, um, I put up on the on Twitter um, yesterday a, a list of 10 things that um, I hope for for this year for the Bees. I'm going to give you three things, uh, Mem, as we wrap up here. Uh, what are your sort of top three wishes, not for 2021, but certainly for the rest of this season uh, that you'd like to see that you think would put us in a good position going forwards? I like the one. I like the first one, back in the grounds. To be honest, I think the first three, actually. Um, I quite like, yeah. I think some of them are a bit more, a bit more longer term. I mean, stuff like the Supporters Association, I definitely like that. Um I think that we need that for a long time, and I think uh, uh, I think Sam Collins tried to sort of start something, start something up, or try and get the get the dialogue started on that. But I'm not sure if a lot of people are feeling quite demotivated about doing stuff like that. But I think the issue, the first three things, fans inside the grounds, staying up, and back flowers. I think they're the first three you put there, I would say, the immediate things that I would want to see. Cool. Well. Um... Mem, as ever, it's been a real pleasure having you uh, to chat through the, the latest goings on at Barnet over the past few months. Um, and we'll, we'll pop back in the new year uh, once we've watched a few of Flowers' games, uh, starting, I believe, with the, the game on the second against Boreham Wood, um, to kind of get a sense of, of how we're setting up tactically, but also how it looks like we're, we're playing ahead of the year or ahead of the remaining fixtures of the, this year. Um, but that, all that leads me to say, Mem, is uh, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, have a very uh, happy uh, new year, social distance, of course. And um, I look forward to seeing you in 2021. See you later, see you later mate. Good to see you.